Hi, welcome to What Are the Tax Implications? I'm Ron Scott. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. We are your first call tax advocates here once again to help increase your financial and tax knowledge. In this episode of What Are the Tax Implications? We'll be discussing the following topics. With July 15th, yes, that's 2020's tax day, July 15th, stuff you can do. You can make contributions to IRAs still. Um, You got to remember, you have to file your taxes and file extensions if you want to extend to October 15th. We'll cover that all in the episode. Um, Facts and myths. And why was I selected for an exam? Yeah, we'll talk about how and why you may have been selected and maybe some of the myths associated with audit selection. And lastly, the college planning, funding a college education for a child, the different vehicles, but with the new world of maybe students not choosing the traditional path because of so much online teaching, what about that extra money? that might be in that college funding plan. Whose is it? How it can be used? On what are the tax implications? Whether you're the CEO of your household or of your business, questions constantly arise regarding the tax consequences of your financial circumstance. First Call Tax Advocates is always here to answer your questions and offer educational background regarding the potential tax implications of your action. Ron and Jeff are your first responders. They are board-certified financial and tax professionals with over 60 years of experience. Please visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more about them, explore their resources, and leave a review of your experience. For more urgent matters, please call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. The topics and responses discussed here are intended for general education. Our discussions are not intended to give you advice on your specific situation. We would advise you to seek advice from a competent and licensed professional. Tax law is always evolving and our discussions are based on the law existing to date. Our first caller is Vivian from Vermont and she just wants some basic questions answered. Um, Tax day, Jeff, this year is July 15th. And Vivian, she wants to get herself prepared like she would have done in early March for an April 15th date. Here is early June for a July 15th date. Um, What are some of the things that Vivian should prepare for? Vivian, great question. Of course, you know that Ron and I are planners, so we'd like to plan, and we're we're glad that you're doing the same thing. You're paying attention to your your own situation. So... You know, you can document your 2019 expenses and your payments to the government. One of the biggest problems that I have in my office is that we may get the deductions and the income right, and then people somehow forget how much money they've actually paid the government. Uh, Sometimes they put down too much or too little, and and that is a uh, fairly common problem. 
And then looking over to 2020, uh, uh, if we can actually do that, um, from a tax point of view, uh, certainly there are some things you can do. Uh, for example, um, if we're going to go out to July 15th, you still have the ability to make your 2019 IRA payment all the way out to the due date of the tax return, which in this case, it, because of the extension, is July 15th. That's still an option that's open to you. So that's the traditional IRA contribution. There may be a deduction for that. That's dependent upon the taxpayer's situation. There's also the Roth IRA contribution. Again, the contribution might be um, impacted based on the adjusted gross income. But yes, you have an extension to contribute to your IRAs. Um, Jeff, what about um, what about a SEP IRA? Was that impacted at all? So SEP IRAs have always been by the due date of the return, including extensions, which is different from a regular IRA. An IRA is just up to the due date, whereas a SEP, a simple Simplified Employee Pension Plan, SEP, is kind of a specialty IRA, an IRA on hormones, if you will. And that is to the due date plus extensions. Okay, extensions. Let's talk about extensions. So the extension needs to be filed by July 15th. If you'd like to extend the filing of your taxes, that's not an extension to pay, Vivian. So if you owe... You need to pay by July 15th. Ron, thanks for bringing that up. I can't tell you how many people get it wrong. They think an extension gives them time to pay and time to file. It only gives you time to file. If, if you owe money, you are required to pay it by the due date. So you file the extension by July 15th, which then allows... For the filing of your taxes no later than October 15th, you've paid, hopefully, you, <coughs> you've paid by July 15th. Other things to think about, Vivian, estimated taxes. If you are one of those many taxpayers who are required to make estimated tax payments, so Jeff, for this unique year, with some relief given, Instead of the April 15th and June 15th, first quarter, second quarter, respectively, estimated tax payments, those first two quarters are due July 15th. Indeed, that's correct. In a previous section, we talked about estimated taxes and why they're required. And in fact, what are they? They're a sort of a down payment, if you will, on your taxes. Uh, but if you're in one of those situations that does require estimated taxes, quarter one and quarter two are both due together June 15th. Um, so people would ask compliance questions. Can I put them in the same envelope? Can I pay it with the same check? Um, my preference would be uh, two separate checks and two separate envelopes um, so that they get recorded properly. That would be my preference, but there's no rules on this. And then the third quarter is for estimated taxes is? That is do the normal time, which is September 15th, unless something is going to happen to push that date back. 
And the fourth quarter is, interestingly, in January, January 15th, 2021. So to stay on time with your estimated taxes, the first and second quarters, July 15th, third quarter, September 15th, and the fourth quarter, January 15th. Okay, Vivian, uh, what else do we got for you? Let's see. Um, anything else to consider? You know, oh, don't forget that if you are, have to file in a state, right, to get gather all your information that is state-specific and keep keep those records and documents just in case because and in a future episode we'll be talking about how important having those books and records and documents are okay as a standard practice keep your keep your documents what about seven years, Jeff? Fifteen years? A hundred years? <laughs> it just seems that way. Uh, six years is kind of the 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 norm, and I wouldn't go much further than that. The truth is, you can probably get rid of them after three years if you're not Bonnie or Clyde. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make that funny. Uh, you know, most people. Um, are not going to need to go back further than that. But, you know, if you're living on the wild side, you may have done some questionable or shady activities. Or, frankly, uh, if uh, you're going through marital troubles, anything other than what's considered normal, I, I would, I think you're safe to get rid of stuff after three years. But if you have questionable things or problems brewing in your life, I would go out to six years. Well... We learned a lot about the differences between a normal year and this year. Good luck, Vivian. Our next caller, we've heard from before, Jeff. Ted's back. Ted from Tottenville. Uh, he's called in again. I think he has us on speed dial, possibly. So Ted now is deep into um, his involvement with the IRS. And his buddy, remember that taxpayer, I'm sorry, that, that tax preparer, who was not a professional tax preparer, but somebody I think that knew how to use some computer software. Um, you know, he uh, was, he may have been a little aggressive with some of the deductions, but Ted, Ted's wanting to know, why was he selected for audit? I think he's trying to find a way out for his buddy, Jeff. He's, Ted, Ted's, Ted's got a basket full of problems and a lot of questions. So what we're going to help Ted with today is um, discussing the facts and myths with regard to examination selection. Um, one way I think we have heard as potential is somebody at the IRS has a dart and then there's this, this enormous board of names. They kind of are blindfolded, spun around, and then they throw the dart wherever it lands. Jeff, that's who gets the audit? Yeah. <laughs> maybe might, not exactly that Maybe way. not exactly like that. <laughs> okay, so so maybe it's it's some type of uh, you know random selection of a person's tax return, of an individual, a business, a couple, right? Random selection, can we so say that? So the IRS uses, um, and I hesitate to use this word, artificial intelligence. Um, it's sort of uh, an oxymoron at, at times. Uh, they uh, are very... Um, mathematical with their algorithms to figure out who are the compliant taxpayers and who are not. 
And um, that's one of their big, big, big processes is using artificial intelligence to help flag a return. And there's a number of ways that they do that. They use something called the discriminating function. They grade your tax return, your income, your deductions based on your occupation and your zip code. And if you're too much plus and too much minus, they, it gets kicked out and put on a reviewer's desk. They also have specialty audits where they're looking at a particular industry for compliance, especially the cash industries. And then sometimes they just don't like the fact that your tax return, you have too many deductions relative to your income, and that by itself will kick it out. They have a number of other smaller criterias like you were self-employed, you got a 1099 for, say, $10,000, and you took deductions for exactly $10,000. Uh, that's mm. a giant red flag. Oh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> so be off by a little bit, right? Well, <clears throat> be right is, is, the, is the better way of saying it. If you have 10000 in income and 10000 deductions, then sure, why not? But, but be right. Don't, <laughs> don't just... Don't just throw numbers out there for the sake of numbers. Now, there is also a myth, which could be a fact, that the the form letter number or the you know the the number associated with the letter received can identify how what method was used for exam selection. Um, I now I've heard this through my years before I got into. Um, this wonderful world of tax representation and preparation. Whereas if you look at the letter and you look at the secret code, it'll tell you. What do you think, myth or fact? Well, so the older letters, not the ones that they've used in the last couple of years, used to have a whole bunch of of random numbers on the bottom of the letter and you could decode them. They, they stopped printing those so very often you don't know. And frankly, there's something we didn't talk about, and it does occur rarely, but it does occur. You can also have something called an intelligence audit, where um, the government had some information from some source or some, some um, let's call them a whistleblower, complaining that you didn't pay all your taxes, or sometimes in marital situations, um, uh, and they're dealing with intelligence audits as well. So, you know, we don't talk about that a lot, but it does occur. So, Ted, um, I hope we're, we're helping you here with getting some form of closure. Um, and thank you for calling so frequently. You know, the, uh, you know we, we may invite Ted here as a special guest in the studio. <laughs> we may. If we ever print T-shirts, Fred might get one. Uh, Ted yeah, might get one. Ted might get one. <laughs> Ted might get one. Hey, Ted, again, thank you. And good luck, Ted. Remember, the First Call Tax Advocates, Ron and Jeff, are your first responders. Board-certified professionals, over 60 years of experience. Visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more, explore, and leave a review. For more urgent matters, call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. And for you subscribers, we offer a complimentary consultation to discuss your tax matter. 
Our next caller is Amanda from Brooklyn. Amanda is a student in a local college. She just finished her semester, uh, the spring semester 2020. She started out going to classes, and then the shift was made to the online world. Now, a little background on me. I teach courses at a local college, so I did the same. I went from teaching in front of 30 to 40 students in a classroom to teaching in front of less than 30 or 40 in the uh, Zoom meeting environment. Not an easy environment to teach in, not an easy environment to hold attention. But Jeff, Amanda's concern is, what about the money that has been saved for her college education and applied in past, uh, past semesters in tuition and books when she is contemplating not eh, not enrolling next semester. She's thinking about taking a couple of semesters off because of the online experience. Jeff, what are the tax implications regarding that money in the qualified education accounts? It, can Amanda use that money for something other than college? And what are the tax implications? Excellent question. Excellent question. Well, Amanda, first of all, the giver of that money, uh, probably your parents or grandparents, is in control. It's their money, uh, which they made you the beneficiary for. But if you're going to use it for some other purpose, number one, you need their permission to do that. And number two, there are probably tax consequences. Yes, there will be a, a tax and a penalty because you didn't use the money as it was properly earmarked. Now, we're talking about a Section 529 or a Section 530, right, account for the qualified education. We are not talking about if the parents used the Uniform uh, Transfer to Minors Act or Uniform Gift to Minors Act. That's different. That's a custodial arrangement. And then when the student hits age of majority in whatever state they're in, then it's their money. But it's, Amanda, if what you're talking about is the, the Section 529 uh, Qualified Education Account or the Section 530 Coverdell Savings Account, that's not your money. That's the the, your parents or your grandparents or whoever opened the account. So interesting, as Jeff and I are preparing for, for this session, our podcast producer, Christopher Scott. Hi. Yes. It's me. And hey. Ron is now talking about our off mic experience. Yes, but this we're is now off bringing mic. it in. That's right. <laughs> so so um, for those who don't know, uh, Christopher is my son. And Christopher graduated college back in 2016, four years, right? Even though you finished your courses in December of 2015. And I wanted to walk with my sister. He walked with his sister, Samantha, my daughter. And um, they we had a great time in June of uh, 2016, celebrating both of your college graduations. It was a very proud moment for mm -hmm. Teresa, my wife, their mother. That was great. We had a great time. Anyway, so so Chris is listening, and Chris is, uh, you know, he's not one of those podcast producers that ignores what's going on. He listens, and he he kind of said, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. <laughs> Hold on a second. 
the money saved by parents or grandparents for the college education of their children or grandchildren is not usable or it's not the money of the student. And Jeff, that was some reaction on, on Chris's part, huh? <laughs> Chris was a little surprised. He thought it was his money. <laughs> in, in the case of, um, you know, if, if a student... Um, has an account where the parents saved. And he, uh, Chris, what was it that you uh, thought again? I'm, I'm thinking, I was asking questions like, wait a second. So you're saying that the parent, the individual, maybe not even the parent, maybe the guardian or whatever, is putting money aside to invest into the child's education. And then if the child decides, all right, I'm done with high school. I don't want to go to college. I'd rather use this money for something else that would be beneficial to my future because I don't believe that the college available programs here are going to be beneficial to me. I'd rather use it for something else. Maybe I want to learn a trade. Maybe I want to invest into some online courses. Or maybe I just want to use the money for something else and maybe use an education years from now. I don't know. I can't use this money how I want to use it. The It depends on how the money was saved, Chris, like we said. If... I would have opened a Section 529 account for you, then you would have been the beneficiary. I would have managed the money. I would have used it when I see when I saw fit. And if you were to tell me at your high school graduation, Dad, I'm not going to college, then I would say, okay, where you're you're not going to be going to college where I was going to use the money to pay the institution. So Good luck, Chris, is what I would say. You've heard me say that before. <laughs> okay, so what are the tax benefits that someone can get for putting their money away? A parent can get for putting their money away, and then their kid doesn't want to go. Do they just get the money back tax-free? Is is that how it works? Are they taxed on it? Good question. Outstanding about question. Yeah. I love that. So, so what happens? What are the tax implications of contributing, Jeff? Well- a handful of states give a tax credit for 529s. The federal government does not. New York State does. Some states do. New Jersey does not. Um, and generally, the um, the interest, the growth of the 529 is tax-free if the money is used properly for education. Um, there are a number of other opportunities in the non-traditional sense, the non-college, non-university, such as trade schools, if they're a qualified education institution, you still can use that money for that and become, in effect, an essential employee. Uh, we all need plumbers, electricians, car repair people, air conditioning repair people. We all knew that need those people, and boy, are they essential. Uh, and that would be deductible. If you choose not to do that, you just want to travel, wax your surfboard and go out into the into the world uh, and your parents are kind enough to do that, then the money is subject to a early withdrawal penalty and income tax. And that is the way it goes, period. So just to clean something up, Jeff, you said a, a, something about a tax credit. It's actually a tax deduction. Oh, did I say credit? Yeah, yes, tax deduction. It's a deduction. tax deduction at the state, um, state level. And uh, again, uh, I would contact your tax advisor, who's an expert in the state, to make sure that you know what those limits are. Um, let's say, let's say, though, that I wanted to use the money that I hypothetically saved 
for your education, Chris. You chose not to go to college. You were you were an athlete. You were, you were on your way to maybe doing something in sports, um, and you weren't going to go to college, or maybe even got a scholarship. We'll go there in a, in a moment. But if I decide to spend it on something else, and how old am I? Well, at the time you're starting college, right? I was how old? Fifty. I was 50 years old, 2011. I was 49 years old. So you're going to use that money for your midlife crisis and get a so motorcycle? Yes. So I'm going to go down? So let's say that I did that, that I, I used the money for a motorcycle. <laughs> then if I withdrew that money, I would have to pay tax on all of the gains, right? So the amount above basis. The growth, right? All of the growth I'd have to pay at my ordinary income tax um, however I claim it as income, but then I'd have to pay a 10% penalty because I'm 49, not 59 and a half. But what if, what if I chose to let it cook and I didn't have the midlife crisis and I let it cook and I got to 59 and a half in a day, right? 59 and a half in a day. And that's coming up folks. That's going to be November 30th, 2021 when I'm 59 and a half in a day. And I start taking that money out just tax, no penalties. Right. Just tax, no penalties. So that's going to be supplemental retirement for me. So it's and like an IRA. Similar. Yeah. It's like a um, it's a non-deductible IRA. It had basis. That's correct. Okay. So. And for you high net worth people, there are tax planning activities that could be done here using a 529 plan to reduce your estate taxes. Yes, your 529 is considered within your estate, but the 529 is actually a lower tax than the estate tax, and it is part of the planning tools available. It's certainly non-traditional. It's outside the, the box thinking, but it is an option. I want to brag a little bit. I have one other question also, oh, by the way. Please. Okay. So say um, say you open up this plan, right? You want your kid to go to a specific college. You're an alumni from um, Alabama. You're an alumni from Alabama. Roll, you want your kid roll, to- Roll Tide? You want your kid to go to Alabama so bad. So you're an alumni bit. there. You're part of a fraternity there. You played football there. You have this vision that, oh, my son's going to do this. He's going to be a running back, just like I was. He's going to join a fraternity, just like I was. He's going to be on the Crimson Tide. And then your son decides, when it comes to time to select a college, that, Dad, I don't want to go to Alabama. I want to go to Auburn. <laughs> oh, wow. I want to go to Auburn. Well, you're moving out. Now, you, sure. have this, you have this can fund. Can I disinherit him? You have you this can. fund. You have this fund for me to go to college. Right. If I decide I don't want to go to the school that you want me to go to, I want to go to my own. Is that money mine? Do I get to use that money for this college? Or does it have to be with your permission? Ooh. So are we talking about parents in general or me? <laughs> we're, we're talking about like the rules in general. Again, again, it's to the discredit, depending upon, depending upon how the money was funded. If we're just using a section 529, I have the choice. If we use the Uniform Transfer to Minors, the Uniform Gift to Minors Act, then if you, when, when you get to the age of majority, it is your money. Okay, so it's either 18 or 21, depending on the state. I don't know the rules of Alabama. I have no idea. Right? You know, there's, um, a, there's a few other options here, too, But I, I just parent I, and grandparent. Let me just finish off on the thing. So, Chris, I, did I answer your question that I still have the choice? Yeah. Okay. I know you're not happy Chris with that. Chris is not happy about that. I don't like that. it. I know, but, <laughs> but 
But the 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 next thing that Jeff's going to talk about um, is you know something that's very very powerful. Okay, um, what if what if the student what if the student doesn't go to college? What options are there for the parent who saved a lot of money for education for their children? Oh, there's a there's a really big option here. So the parent can use that money for. Anybody in the family, from mom, dad, any siblings or grandchildren, you can change the beneficiary uh, without tax consequences. It's not a taxable event, and that money would still be earmarked for education. So changing of beneficiary is an option. So that means families that have multiple children, we can use the same fund and kind of then change beneficiary as needed. Last topic, and boy, did we go long on this one, Chris, huh? Uh, what about a scholarship? So student, and let me brag a little bit, you know, my son was uh, the total Raider when he graduated high school, which is a wonderful award that he received for being an all-around kind of excellent student academically, also with leadership in his school and thought of highly by his peers and teachers, etc. Christopher, though, did not, he was one of those people that across the board generally very, very high, highly um, high, good grades, not the valedictorian. Um, you were the president of the student union, Chris? I was senior class president. Senior class president. And junior class president. And junior class president. So Two he terms. Had, he had accolades. But he, he did not put himself out there for... Um, scholarship programs in schools across the board. But what if he did? What if Chris had scholarships and we had a 529 for him? Jeff, um, is there any relief? I mean, if, 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 there, if, there is a, um, if there is a scholarship and there's money in a 529 account, you know, my understanding is there is some relief that the, and it depends on the state where, uh, the amount of the tuition that the scholarship is covering, that amount of money can come out of the 529 you, you, w w without having to pay taxes and with no penalty. The amount. Because you wouldn't want to ha have a person punished for getting a scholarship. Okay, But now what you're doing is you're taking the money out of the 529 plan and, and who's going to get to use it? So I would think that the student might say, don't I also get rewarded? I earned no, it. no, no. That is going to be the, um, the owner of the account. Again, talk to your tax advisor. Each state might have a slightly different way of working that. But you are not punished for being an excellent student. And Amanda, I know that we really weren't referencing you that much. But in your situation, I know that you still have... Um, you still have classes and semesters ahead of you. Um, I know how difficult it was for the students in the online world. Um, good luck, Amanda. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You probably have additional questions, don't you? We are your first call. Remember, everyone's situation is unique, but we should be your first call. We are your first responders. The 911 operator doesn't call you. 
please call us toll-free at 833-568-8999. Again, 833-568-8999. And visit our website at firstcalltaxadvocates.com. We'd love to know what you've learned today. So please leave a review on our website. We have attempted to appeal to a broad audience, but we want to help everyone if we can. On our next episode of What are the Tax Implications? We'll be discussing the following topics. The self-employment tax and Social Security and Medicare taxes, payroll taxes in general. Additionally, the wonderful service given by the Tax Advocate Service. Tax Advocate Service, not First Call Tax Advocates. We're just two great guys helping people as much as we can. But the Tax Advocate Service, that's part of the IRS. And it helps when maybe the conversations with the IRS are at a standstill. And lastly, we'll be talking about the 2020 numbers. Those are the um, new retirement planning ranges, tax bracket ranges, what you can contribute, etc.